Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our FX podcast series. Today, for the first time I can remember, Ellie Henderson from our economics team and I are not going to be joined by regular co-host Chris Brand from the FX Trading Desk. Instead, we'll be graced by the presence of none other than the head of FX and rates trading, Dimitri Theodisio. And with so much on the agenda to discuss, this should prove to be a bumper edition. Before our regular listeners gasp in despair at the fact that Chris is not with us today, concerned no doubt for his well-being after his beloved Tottenham Hotspur lost to my team, the Arsenal, on Sunday. I want you all to take a deep breath and relax. Chris is fine. He is not on stress leave, but rather annual leave, and it was pre-planned. Whilst I cannot vouch for the fact that he has fully recovered from the North London derby loss, I'm pretty sure he is very happy sipping his pina coladas rather than joining me for this podcast. Anyway, enough about football. Let's move on. There's quite a lot of news to power through. Last week was a big week for central banks. Um, We have the FOMC, the Bank of England and a few others. Why don't we start there and bring in Ellie to get her thoughts on that and particularly uh, in an interesting time given that UK tenure gilts popped above 1% today. So, Ellie, what are your thoughts on the FOMC and the Bank of England? Thanks, Karen. Yeah, it was an extremely busy week for central bank meetings last week. Um, And although a lot of the central banks we cover in detail, they did maintain policy, we did have some really interesting points come out of them. So if we start with the Fed, as expected, the federal funds target range was held at 0 to 0.25%, and the pace of asset purchases kept at least $120 billion a month. However, there were some pretty strong hints on a tapering timeline. So Fed Chair Powell, in his post-press um, conference, said that the Fed could easily move ahead to announce tapering at its November meeting, and that asset purchases could seize in their entirety in mid-2022. Um, so that was a clear hint that we could be seeing some movement in the in the next meeting. But what was also interesting from this meeting is that we received an updated dot plot. And this really just sets out the FOMC participants views on where they think rates may be over the next few years. So on this, there was a clear move forward in expectations from the last time we saw this in June. And now we have nine out of the 18 um, participants expecting a rate hike next year. Um, Our own view remains for a hike in early 2023, but we do see the risk of this being slightly earlier, possibly end 2022. But of course, this depends on the evolution of the data and there are still a lot of uncertainties regarding the um, economic recovery in the US. Um, Moving on to the Bank of England, as you mentioned, Kieran, this was equally exciting. Well, for people that are interested in monetary policy, it was exciting. Um, so policy was maintained as expected, bank rate at 0.1% and the targeted stock of asset purchases at $895 billion. But moving away from the actual policy decision, it was quite a hawkish meeting. We had two members dissent on the QE vote. So Saunders, um, he dissented last time, so this wasn't much of a surprise, but he was also joined by Ramsden at this meeting. And the pair, they voted to stop asset purchases immediately. And alongside this, there was definitely a more cautious tone in the minutes. The bank, it seemed they're obviously quite concerned about the current inflationary surge. They upgraded their inflation projections. And if you couple all of this with some comments made by Governor Bailey yesterday, in which he suggested that a modest tightening could be on the cards, with some members of the MPC seeing a rate hike before the ending of this year possible, you do see, you know, quite a hawkish tilt to the committee. 
We think given the concerns regarding how the labour market may react to the expiry of the furlough scheme, a concern that was noted in the minutes, a hike before the end of the year, although not impossible, is pretty unlikely. But we have actually moved our expectation for a rate hike forward by three months to a 15 bit hike in February next year, followed by another 25 basis point hike in August. So overall, and I'm sure Demi will touch on this, and as you said, Kieran, um, earlier, we did see quite a large market reaction to this more hawkish Bank of England meeting and the subsequent comments by Bailey that we got yesterday. And markets are also now pricing in a rate hike in Q1 of next year. Thanks, um, Ellie. Um, yeah, definitely keen to get a trader's view on, on um, those as well, Demi. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The um, the FOMC meeting, the Fed in particular, did what, what they do best, which is deliver a hawkish message with a dovish tone just to keep that element of confusion going on. Um, certainly, we've had some broad based dollar buying. Um, and that interest has, has not waned since. Um, partly the the stronger kind of message, the, the, the tapering tone, everything that's been discussed um, and US yields ticked up afterwards. So we, we've certainly seen a follow through in markets. Um, but, you know, as, as always with financial markets, it's it's a plethora of things combined that tends to tell the story. So, um, you know, as we'll probably touch on the the, the risk off tone stock market moves, supply constraint concerns, uh, lots of different things in the mix that are helping with that dollar strength. Um, and that's that's certainly been a key theme that we've seen in the last week or so. Um, in the UK, a slightly different message. So we, we obviously had a slightly stronger pound after um, the, the more hawkish talk. Um, and Bailey yesterday, you know, the governor talking around the potential need for further interest rate hike um, or a rent interest rate hike, I should say. Um, but it, again, it's coupled with a concern around a slowing economic recovery. So, um, you know, can the economy handle a hike uh, at times where, you know, prices are definitely surging? It's felt by everyone. Um, and, you know, I think the mix of these things has, has been a little more difficult for the pound. So um, we are seeing some sterling weakness now creeping in uh, not just against the dollar where there's broad buying but but certainly across the board now it's starting to suffer a little bit so um so interestingly although both the central banks are taking a slightly more hawkish tilt um in the currency world it's definitely the dollar that's prevailing at the moment and i think some of that potentially i'm, I'm not i'm interested to get your thoughts on this is um to do with some of the risk off uh, themes coming out of china um Evergrande or Evergrande, depending on how you, you pronounce it, is obviously um, has hit headlines quite quite uh, concerning, really, in terms of the, the contagion risk potentially there. there. There's something like 171 banks domestically and um, another 121 um, other financial firms that are that have reportedly lent to Evergrande, and um, and we kind of had this week of of sterling. Um, dollar moving up and down depending on news really on on, on risk aversion you know are, have they made their, their coupon payments uh, or, or not things seemed somewhat calm yesterday but yeah interesting to get the latest views from you Ellie on on that situation is it is it is it something to be concerned about could it be a, another Lehman Brothers-esque um, story one to watch out for it's definitely a key risk and um, we saw how just 
developments on this Evergrande story has been moving the markets over over the um, last week. And just to put it into context, Evergrande is the is China's second largest property developer. And it has liabilities of over $300 billion. And we just want to put this in some sort of context. That's somewhere between the entire GDP of Portugal and Ireland. So if we're talking about risks of a potential default, they are certainly there. So it all started to come ahead um, a couple of weeks ago when Chinese authorities warned major banks that Evergrande may not be able to pay their interest payments. And, you know, since then, if you've been following the story, payments have been missed and markets, they do seem to be bracing for some sort of default. Now, Karen, you touched on the contagion impact. And I think that's that's the real key issue is if Evergrande does collapse, like it's looking like it may, what ramifications will this have on Chinese property market, the Chinese economy? And ultimately, of course, that's going to link into global growth. And I think that's why we've seen some, some market moves. So, there are many concerns. If we start with the impact on the Chinese property market, we've seen this before with Lehman's. There was kind of a mantra of a too big to fail sort of um, theme going on in the property market. A lot of the property developers are quite indebted, but there was a belief that the Chinese authorities would never allow a company of that size to default. We still don't know whether they will. And Government has warned local authorities to prepare for a default, but the um, latest development as well on that, which literally came through just before we started speaking, was that Beijing has ordered state-owned companies to hoover up Evergrande assets. So it is rapidly evolving. Um, But because of all of this, it's kind of causing investors to be more risk averse. And we've seen that in the fall of the share price of other property developers that aren't even that exposed to Evergrande in China, just because investors are more risk averse. They're not sure whether China will step in and help out these indebted companies. Will it lead to a housing wider housing market crash? We don't have a crystal ball, but if it does, it would pose a risk to the Chinese economy in general. The property market is estimated to be around 10 to 30 percent of um, Chinese GDP, depending on how you measure measure it. And this is kind of coming at a time where separating, removing Evergrande from the picture, activity in China is slowing anyway. There's COVID outbreaks, we've seen tighter regulations, and we've also seen power curbs that really have been weighing on the data. So it's hard to predict what will happen, but there are there is this risk. Is it overblown? We don't know. We'll have to keep monitoring the situation and keep reading the headlines and see what happens. I'm trying to just cast my mind back to Lehman Brothers and and the 2008 global financial crisis. And I think, you know, from where I'm I'm sat, I remember, you know, it wasn't like subprime was a thing that wasn't talked about in the lead up to everything going bang. Um, And I, I, you know, I think it's just something that our clients need to be aware of. You know, it's 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 one that um, we can't take eye off the ball. I'm not sure if you agree, Demi, and, and if you think that maybe, you know, part of this dollar strength we're seeing is is something to do with the risk off nature of, of markets and the dollar being a safe haven. And uh, and that's why we're not seeing kind of that follow through that you'd expect, given the yield curve in the, in the UK is, is, is bumped up this week. So I'm not, not, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, Evergrande's a, a particularly interesting case because it's almost as if the market has known for a while that this was perhaps a possibility of how this could play out the uh, stock price had traded um, a lot weaker against book value than, than many other uh, Chinese real estate stocks. So when you look into it, it's almost a, a slightly known case. Um, 
but you know equally when these things do come to the fore as as you rightly link with the subcrime crisis the um the eventuality of one firm hitting and the potential contagion and then then the reality of it happening um and that's when markets tend to react so you almost get some kind of pricing in of the risk uh, to some degree and then of course uh, the market watches as it plays out and it and it continues to price in or price out the risk as it sees it it being fit so um it is certainly affecting markets um stock markets uh currency markets are, are all feeling the strain um and I, I think as you as you mentioned the the combination of that risk off theme with um us rates uh, rising a little uh, and that tends to be an overriding theme when us policy shifts that tends to that tends to bully the entire currency market um so those those two things aligning for a stronger dollar really is is the the driving force at the moment so um difficult to tell exactly what the main driver is but certainly the stars are aligning at the moment for a stronger dollar um, just putting my my risk management hat on for a second there, with with implied volatility so low in 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 FX crosses, especially the, the majors, sterling dollar and sterling euro, what we have actually seen is is kind of the the, the hedging that that kind of happened in in those two thousand and eight nine periods, and again over that Brexit period, where you you, you can overlay macro hedges, you know, premium paid uh, vanilla options of course come into play, and they are cheap relative to. Um, what we've become accustomed to, but also collars. Um, so we have seen a fair few um, corporates come in and and layer in collars, sometimes premium paid collars, where you can protect um, something that's almost uh, seems far away from market now, buying dollars at say 130, but participates into the 140s where you are capped at a, at a, at a rate um, in and around the 140 mark and maybe pay a small premium up front to, to get levels adjusted to what your budget rates are and so forth. Um, but it is interesting that we are beginning to see some of those um, those trades come back in. I guess it's people who are, are looking at, at currency markets and just don't want to take that risk of a, of a, of a huge fall back down to levels that again we, we kind of look back and go you know 120 is that is that could that possibly happen you, you're talking disaster uh, kind of scenarios here but but you can get rid of that risk quite um efficiently with with the use of macro hedges um and so do speak to us if you do want to pick up on any of those ideas um the other thing we must bring up and talk about is is u.s fiscal policy um, Ellie, keen to get your thoughts because there's so much going on there with the infrastructure bill. I mean, we're coming close to the debt ceiling and spending, and also the spending bill as well. Um, could that be something that um, we need to keep our eye on in terms of um, risks for the market? Yes, definitely. It is a really pivotal week for the Biden administration this week. We've got a lot happening. It's all evolving extremely quickly. We wake up each morning with a new development, pretty much. Um, thing is, this week we have a variety of different bills trying to cross the line. So if we start with the fiscal stimulus package, you mentioned the infrastructure bill, Kieran. So we've got the one trillion infrastructure bill and also the three point five trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill set to be passed um, without Republican support and um, votes on both of those this week. So the infrastructure bill was expected um, to be voted on Monday. However, this vote was delayed to provide more time for negotiations on the larger $3.5 trillion bill to conclude. So the idea was to appease all sides of Congress. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little political here. Um, the two bills would move in tandem, so they'd be voted on at the same time. But with Democrats, they're really squabbling between themselves over the price of the larger bill. The, some people want, some side of the Democratic Party want 
a larger bill than $3.5 trillion, some want it smaller. Um, Speaker Pelosi, she's conceded, and last night she kind of signalled that the infrastructure bill may have to progress alone after all. So hopefully we'll see a vote on the infrastructure bill this week. What's going to happen with the larger $3.5 trillion or whatever that price tag may be, bill is yet to be seen. But what may really move the markets is the funding bill for the next fiscal year and alongside that, the debt ceiling suspension. So the Democrats, they're seeking a bipartisan approach to passing these bills and they kind of they acknowledge the Republicans resistance to suspend the debt ceiling as they think it could encourage reckless spending. So what the um, Democrats have done, they've kind of done a political manoeuvre and opted to tie the um, funding bill to the debt ceiling so you'd vote on them together knowing that without a vote on the funding bill for the next fiscal year the government could face a partial shutdown on Friday and no one knows that sorry no one wants that but at a procedural vote over the weekend despite this threat of the shutdown Republicans still opted to block this bill because they do not want to suspend the debt ceiling so the options the Democrats are now presented with are face a shutdown on Friday and all the turmoil that comes with that or separate the two bills as has kind of been suggested in the media doing so would have a shutdown on Friday the Republicans are saying that they're willing to pass the funding bill alone it's the debt ceiling they have an issue with but it kind of does just kick the can down the road in regard to the debt ceiling. So without this suspended, we could see the government default on its debt by mid-October, which is obviously an outcome no one wants. And the market um, reaction of that could be quite large. Well, it would be quite large. Um, so, yeah, it's a really pivotal week. We'll have to see what happens. But um, it's definitely going to keep rumbling on at least till the middle of October unless they can agree on the debt ceiling. Um, is there any thoughts from your side on that, Demi, before we kind of look to try and wrap this up? I know it's been a long one. Um, no, I mean, Ellie's quite right. I think the only thing to note with the debt ceiling is that, that this is something that um, the market's probably a little complacent about because it does rear its head every couple of years, it seems. Um, it, it does. But it, from, my, from my experience, it is one of these things that FX markets just see through because you, you kind of get to the, the cliff edge and then it never happens. And, it, you know, there's always a, a pushback. Is that am I naive to think that that's not going to happen again? Well, no, actually, I agree with you, Kieran. I, I think no, my, my point was more of the lines of the, the markets um, are kind of underpricing the risk of this because normally what happens is either at the 11th hour or quite frankly the 13th hour afterwards um something gets sorted um because it's it's kind of like a a, a game of chicken where they're driving towards each other and at some point someone has to turn so um certainly you know the the stakes have been a bit raised I'm, i believe i saw some fed comments around you know concerns about us credibility if they were to to move towards default or anything like that so um, so certainly it's a it's it is a focus. But right now, my feeling is the markets are really not pricing in that kind of risk. And so to Ellie's point, if something were to happen outside of expectations there, it would be a much, much larger move than you would normally have. Now, before we end, definitely keen to kind of get your your views on inflation. I mean, as, as a theme, the inflation is transitory has been around for quite a quite a while but you know we've seen supply chain shortages we've seen petrol shortages I, I certainly was queuing for an hour on Saturday night to get my my tank filled up um, the oil, oil prices have hit 80 dollars a barrel and UK five-year five-year hit 3.9 percent how does this feed into your views Demi on inflation um, interesting to just kind of 
get your thoughts on that, really. Yeah, I mean, the classic thing with uh, a rhetoric of transitory inflation is that it's transitory until it isn't. Um, and certainly there's some base effects which which should roll out. But, um, you know, as part of that, there is an expectation of of supply chain uh, blocking up. And that, that's really one of the, the key concerns here, you know, because um, and again, from from Governor Bailey's speech yesterday, um, whilst there is a view of price pressures being transient, you know, monetary policy won't increase the supply of semiconductors to, to get new cars on the road or, in fact, provide new HGV drivers for the UK. So there's only so much that policy can do um, to, you know, to, to temper some of these um, factors. And what the market's starting to do is hedge its bets around inflation getting slightly out of control. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the core concerns is, uh, and particularly in the UK here, um, where in across Europe, it's it's been feeling feeling this the worst, it seems, or at least at the end of things, um, is you, you don't really want to have a slowing economic recovery coupled with rising inflation because it becomes very difficult for monetary policy to uh, to intervene because the, the more you raise rates to, to you know, temper the inflationary pressures, um, the more you know, pressure you put on the economy, which is already you know, starting to, to slow. So um, it's a very difficult uh, tightrope to walk in that situation. And again, possibly why the pound is continuing to struggle despite, you know, infl- uh, interest rate hike talk, which normally would be a big sterling positive. Um, and Ellie, your side on, on inflation, any any thoughts there? And these uh, these effects that we are seem to be coming from all angles now, really. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're hard to miss if we take the supply shortages, which has obviously been contributed to the issue you can't walk outside your house without being um, reminded of the issues I think to drive anywhere is like an obstacle course avoiding the petrol stations and the queues but I yeah we we on the economic success we we agree with Demi we we do think it's going to be transitory this inflationary spike but it is expected to get worse before it gets better unfortunately if we take the energy prices this is likely to impact the inflation numbers into mid 2022 because that's when the price cap will next be readjusted to incorporate some of these um, spikes in energy prices. So we are looking for inflationary pressures definitely into next year. It's hoped that as the global burst in demand eases and some of the supply chains recover, we will see price growth easing in the latter end of our forecast horizon. But for now, yeah, inflationary pressures We'll be here for definitely the next few months, and it'll be interesting to see how monetary policy reacts to that. Um, and then just to, to wrap things up, um, I always tend to ask Chris for his thoughts on on the technical levels, certainly in sterling dollar and sterling euro. Um, um, so, so Demi, please give us give us your thoughts on those. I mean, 136 has to be a key level in, in cable, I'd imagine. Um, it uh, it actually popped just below the, that 136 mark uh, before we started recording, just just briefly. Um, so it's, it could be a false break, but that took us back to July 21 levels. Um, is 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 that kind of the, the main one you, you're watching on the downside um, or, or in in cable? And are there any other any others our clients should be looking out for? Yeah, so this 135, 60, 70 zone, so a little below the 136 area, um, where we've had these false breaks lower in July and February, quite frankly, on the way up, um, that's been a key level. So um, this this kind of zone, let's say, um, is pretty key. So if we if we do get a sustained break and close 
I would say on the week, actually, if you were looking at this in more technically, um, then, you know, it would, it would signal further sterling weakness could come. Um, but what we have generally found this year is the markets have traded in ranges. So uh, it always looks scariest at the bottom and it always looks the most optimistic at the top. So we should, I guess, keep that in mind. The, the difference here as well, though, would be to mention that the similar kind of um, trading at the bottom of the range is also happening for the euro against the dollar. So uh, across there, we've had a kind of um, 116s to 122s range uh, and we're trading you know the upper 116s at the moment and, and similar with cable this kind of 135s to 142s range we're, we're at the bottom of that so um, it's not necessarily just a sterling thing here that there's certainly a lot of the dollar crosses are trading um, at the lows and we can see it when we look at sterling euro so um, we had a, a strong rally in the first quarter in sterling euro where uh, you know the Brexit Brexit agreements were done, and you know the UK vaccinated quite quickly, and we moved up to the um, the kind of one six one fifteen to one eighteen range, let's say, um, and we are still trading uh, in that range. So it's not as though the pound has just weakened everywhere. Certainly, the driving force seems to be the dollar move, as as we kind of spoke about. So, um, key levels around here for cable, um, also key levels for euro dollar. So, it is is very much worth watching, kind of how the dollar plays out in the next week. That's great. So th thanks very much again, guys. Um, it's really always been a, a pleasure chatting to both of you. I'm sure our listeners agree. Um, definitely lots to, to take in there. I mean, there are some serious risks, of course, as, as mentioned, um, and, and we need to keep vigilant of those. But at the same time, we, we can't forget, we haven't really had time to speak about COVID, but you know, schools have gone back and, and numbers seem okay. So there, is, is some, there are some positives for the pound too. Um, I'm going to wrap that up now. Um, no, no time for any more talk on football. Next time we do this, Chris will probably be back in a few weeks and and Arsenal would have lost a few games and, and Spurs with a one-sum, so he'll probably be asking me to bring it up again. So on that note, um, let's leave it there, folks, and we'll catch you on the next one.